before we pray and look at these next two parables in Matthew, I want to remind you of something we just sang about. We just, everybody in here that was singing, just acknowledge that Jesus is your king. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. A king and a kingdom. Do you realize that heaven, heaven has a kingdom? Heaven is a kingdom. And heaven has a king. And his name is Jesus. The son of God. And he rules from heaven now. Right now. And these are his words that we're about to hear. These are words from the king of heaven about the kingdom of heaven. How important is that? How important is that? That we would know what the kingdom of heaven is like and maybe how we might actually enter the kingdom of heaven and live forever righteous shining like the sun he said so pay attention to the words from the king of heaven let's pray Jesus you are king you are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. And you are the king of heaven, seated right now on the throne of grace, ruling and reigning, conquering. And I pray that you do that again right here today, that you would reign from heaven you would add to your number, you would add to your kingdom, that you would expand your kingdom, you would build up your body, that you would edify your saints, and you would exalt your name, because that's what does it all. That's what saves, that's what sanctifies. Lord, please, may your name be lifted high in every heart here today. Speak, O oh Lord. In your name we pray right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 31. As we continue our passage-by-passage passage preaching through the gospel of Matthew, now we come to another parable. That's what it says in verse 31. It says, Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. And so, let's take a minute and just be reminded of what all that means. What, it, what is a parable? You can sort of see the definition of a parable in this first sentence. He says, 
Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. You see the word like? Kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. So Jesus is, is comparing the kingdom of heaven side by side with a mustard seed. So a parable is an illustration by comparison. And that's, that's the most basic meaning of this word is to, to, to set things side by side. And so to speak a parable is to place one thing beside another for a better revelation of truth. Illustration by comparison. And this is what the parables of Jesus are. They're stories with parallels to reality. Stories to parallel, story and reality. Story with a parallel to reality that will illustrate great truth. This is what he's doing. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven by drawing parallels to things his audience would be very familiar with. In this case today, plants, seeds, leaven, bread, things like that. Now why does Jesus do this? Why does he speak in parables? We've learned some of this already, but I'm going to give you three reasons because we're going to learn a new one today. First reason Jesus speaks in parables is to conceal the truth, to hide it, to conceal the truth from his rejectors. Those who reject him. We learned this back in verse 10. I mean, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him straight up, like, why do you, why do, you do this? He says, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them how? Verse 11, he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given to know the secrets of heaven. I'm concealing this. From them. And he goes on to say that this is actually part of the judgment on the nation of Israel prophesied back in Isaiah that they would see but not see and hear but not hear, not understand. And so he, he speaks in parables to conceal the truth to his rejectors, but to convey truth to his followers. Matter of fact, the use of parables, if you think about it, man, it's very helpful. Use of a parable is a very helpful and a very rich way to teach, to convey truth, if you explain it. He didn't explain it to everybody. He concealed it. But to his followers, he did give an explanation. Today, we're going to see that Matthew gives another reason that Jesus spoke in parables. You can see it in our text today, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking in parables to actually fulfill Old Testament prophecy. It says, verse 34, all, things, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Why? This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes, Matthew quotes Psalm 78. So he's speaking in parables for those reasons. But what is he talking about? What are these parables about? They are about the kingdom of heaven. 
You can see that in verse 11 when he's explaining this. He says, it's given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. What's that? You, sh you should know that's pretty important. But what is it? What is it? What is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven refers to God's promised reign from heaven on earth. You can hear this in the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught us to pray, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Reign from heaven on earth, please. The kingdom of heaven. And when the kingdom of heaven coming, that refers to God retaking earthly dominion from sin and from Satan. The kingdom of heaven. These parables are about that. These parables illustrate various facets or aspects of the kingdom of heaven. Every one of these uh, parables gives us another little slice, another little glimpse at a different aspect or a different facet of the kingdom of heaven. Think about it. Think about these three together. The, the parable of the sower and the weeds and the net, which we haven't got to yet. Th that all distinguishes the people of the kingdom of heaven from others. And then two coming up, the, the parables of the treasure in the field and the pearl. What are they, that, do, that describes the value of actually discovering the kingdom of heaven. And today... These two parables, the mustard seed and the leaven, are going to illustrate the progression. The progression of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. See that? Just all different ways that he teaches us something. Now, this is important. If, if these parables today are about the progression of the coming of the kingdom of heaven, that implies something very important, and it's this. The kingdom of heaven has come. And it's really important to understand that. The kingdom has come. The kingdom of heaven has broken into this world. Now we're reading this parable 2,000 years later. 2,000 years after it was taught. Now, Jesus is giving this parable to his disciples to correct wrong thinking, to correct a wrong understanding of the coming of the kingdom of God. And to correct and now illustrate what it's like. Like, you've got a wrong understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is like, and I want to tell you what it's like. We know uh, the progression of revelation, the pr progression of Scripture. We know that all throughout the Old Testament, the kingdom was promised. Over and over again, these kingdom promises, promises of a king, promises of a land, promises of a people, all those ingredients you need for a king and God himself would dwell in their midst. God, God's kingdom on earth. Promised. 
And then when the New Testament unfolds, we hear, man, that is close. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is how John the Baptist starts his ministry. He's preaching. What does he preach? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Man, he's saying repent now. Repent now. Because the kingdom of God is right here. It's right here, right now. And this is how Jesus started his ministry. This is how he preached. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now think about it. The kingdom of heaven has come, but how can that be? Like, how, how can that be? Here's how. The kingdom of heaven has come because the king has come. The kingdom of heaven has come because heaven has enthroned its king. Jesus reigns. Right now, this long-promised king has taken his throne. We see that in Acts chapter 2. After Christ has been crucified and buried and raised from the dead. And then he does what? He ascends where? To heaven. And what happened when he got to heaven? He sat down. Where? On a throne. The throne of heaven. The king of heaven. Now, that's, that's not the only explanation. The kingdom of heaven has also come because the ruler of this world has been cast out. This is what Jesus said in John 12. A week, right? A week before he's crucified, he says, Now is the judgment of the world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. And then we just heard Jesus in the previous chapter talk about this strong man being bound and his house being plundered. Guess what? That's, that's exactly what this parable is about. That the strong man has been bound and his house is being plundered. He doesn't rule anymore. Jesus does. And his kingdom is advancing right now. And this is where you say, wait a minute, no, wait, doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like the kingdom of heaven has come. Doesn't look like the rule of this world has been cast out. Doesn't look like God's will on earth has been done as it is in heaven. But Jesus' response is right here, and it's basically this, the kingdom of heaven is not like you think. Not like you think. This is the point of these two parables. He's correcting a messianic misunderstanding. Everybody thought that God's anointed king was going to come and kick out the Romans. John the Baptist even wondered, why in the world am I about to get my head chopped off by this wicked king Herod? Even after the resurrection, his disciples were saying, like, when are you going to restore the kingdom? But it's not like you think. The kingdom of heaven is not like you think. The kingdom of heaven does not come like the kingdoms of men with swords and heat-seeking missiles. It's not how it works. Remember Peter? Peter literally chops a dude's ear off 
when they come to arrest Jesus. And, and Jesus says, put your sword up. Put your sword up. Don't you think that I can appeal to my father? And he would at once send down 12 legions of angels. You're missing it. He tells Pilate, Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, we'd be fighting. We're not fighting. The kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdoms of men. It's not like you think. Guess what it's like? It's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is coming in ways that cannot be observed. This is, this is what Jesus told the Pharisees in Luke 17. This is what Jesus is unfolding for us in these two parables. He's telling us, number one, that the kingdom of heaven is going to unfold progressively. Both parables that we're about to see are, are, show this progressive nature of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And, and both parables uh, show this uh, misunderstood span between the first coming of Christ and the final second coming of Christ. So it's going to, kingdom of heaven is going to come and unfold progressively and it's also going to grow exponentially. That's what the first parable is about. The mustard seed. And it's also going to work transformatively. That's what the second one is about. The leaven. The transforming power. Of this expanding, exponentially expanding kingdom of heaven. That's what we're about to read. I know that's the longest intro to the intro you've ever heard. But it's important. Matthew 13, verse 31. Jesus put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like... A grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Like, it's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. That's a lot, by the way. Till all was leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Now quote Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So first parable, he says the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, and on the surface, it's a pretty simple parable. He basically is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a tiny seed that grows into a tree. That's what the parable's about. You see, mustard plant begins with a tiny little inconspicuous seed. 
It's really small. It's really inconspicuous. If you dropped it on the ground, you'd probably never find it. It's hard to see. But it grows, right? It grows like every other seed. It grows. And how do things grow? Imperceptibly, almost, in real time. You know, you know how magic magician, he snaps his fingers and you know, a flower comes out or he snaps his fingers and a card or snaps his fingers and a cane pops out or whatever? It's not how plants work. It's really awesome to watch time-lapse photography and the grass just goes, starts coming up or the flower is doing all that and you watch it like, man, that's cool. Like, that's how plants work. But I tell you what, you go stare at a plant all day long, you're not going to see that. It's happening. It's, it's almost imperceptible in real time. Though it starts small, it grows steadily, and then ultimately ends up much, much bigger than how it started. In this case, the mustard plant actually turns into a tree. A tree big enough where birds come and make their home there. That's what he's saying. Now this plant that Jesus is referring to can grow over 10 feet tall. It's not the biggest tree in the world. It's not like a sequoia. But it's the biggest one in the garden, he says. Something they're familiar with. But the main point is relativity. Relatively. Relative to these tiny beginnings, the ultimate growth is, man, exponential. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what he's saying. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So what does he mean? He means... The kingdom of heaven began small, but will ultimately cover the earth. Now this is contrary to popular opinion at the time. The, the popular opinion is this, this long promised kingdom of God was going to come cataclysmically. Apocalyptically. Suddenly. Fully. Bam. And it's going to end that way. But no, it, it, the kingdom of heaven began small with Christ alone. I want you to think about it. Think about that. Jesus, you, you say you're the Messiah. You say you are the Christ. You are the anointed king of the kingdom of God, right? You were born in a barn. 33 years later, nobody knows you. Nobody likes you. The, the few little followers you've had after preaching for three and a half years, they, they end up leaving you when you get crucified. Oh, by the way, you get crucified by the people you're supposed to rule. Even God forsook you. You were cursed and absolutely alone, nailed to a tree like a criminal. That's a pretty small start to a kingdom. But that's how it all began. This, 
little tiny insignificant mustard seed grew slowly steadily almost imperceptibly in real time but this is how the kingdom of heaven conquers one heart at a time saving grace sovereign saving grace poured out from the throne of grace in heaven over and over again heart by heart family by family community by community city by city nation by nation generation by generation slowly and steadily don't pick that up i got it slowly and steadily but exponentially exponentially from such a small start it grows people from every nation from the one man Christ Jesus to a kingdom of people from every tribe and language and people and nation until what? The kingdom of heaven covers and rules the earth when Christ returns. This is the end of the age that we talked about last week when Christ comes and all causes of sin and all lawbreakers are going to be cast out of his kingdom into hell with the devil and his angels. And the righteous, that's us, from every nation are going to shine like the sun in this kingdom of heaven. A great multitude that nobody can number. The glory of the Lord, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth and cover it like the water covers the sea. And one man. That is a pretty drastic prediction from a Jewish criminal that has no followers. But you know what's even more remarkable? is the fact that Jesus isn't just pulling this parable out of thin air. He's pulling it from the Old Testament. Ezekiel 17. Jesus is actually, if you want to follow along, I'm not going to, we're not going to read that whole chapter, but if you want to follow along, flip to Ezekiel 17. I'll give you the fast highlights. But Jesus is actually reestablishing and fulfilling an Old Testament prophetic Parable. Ezekiel 17 contains a similar, a similar prophetic parable that, that talks about trees and kingdoms and birds. See, Ezekiel 17 is a parable about God's judgment in exile, in the exile of Israel. And Simultaneously, his promise to establish his kingdom. It, it's a parable about simultaneously destroying the kingdom and a promise of restoring the kingdom. That's what Ezekiel 17 is about. It's all about vines and trees and birds and such. First, the parable of God's judgment. In verses 3 and 4, there's this great eagle that comes and he snatches away, takes the top of the cedar tree off, along with some of the young twigs around it. And then he also goes back, and then he plants a seed there in the land. And that seed grows into a vine. 
a low but spreading out vine. And then in verse 7, a lesser eagle comes along and the vine that's being cared for for this first eagle, that vine turns his attention to this other eagle. Guess what? First eagle don't like that. First eagle tears the vine to shreds, destroys. That's a parable about the coming or the actually going on exile of Egypt into captivity into Babylon. And so here's the explanation. King Nebuchadnezzar, that first great eagle, takes the king of Judah and his royal family away to Babylon. Then he goes back and he picks one of the royal family, the king's uncle, to be a puppet, a vassal king in Israel. Yet, Babylon takes care of this guy. But he doesn't like it. It's not good enough. And he turns his attention to Pharaoh. He turns his attention to the king, the second eagle, the king of Egypt. Guess what? It don't work out. It don't work out. King Nebuchadnezzar destroys the kingdom of Judah and effectively ends the reign of the house of David. Kingdom over. Right? That, that's the suspense at the end of verse 21. What about that kingdom you promised? What, what about this kingdom for David? What about the son of David and all of that? Like, is that over? Was that thwarted by this mighty tree, this mighty king, this eagle, Nebuchadnezzar? It's precisely in this moment, it's precisely in this impossible difficulty that God now promises to establish his kingdom. And so then he gives another little parable about trees. He says, God promises he's going to take a new twig from that same tree. And he himself, God is going to take this tree. Not an eagle, not a Nebuchadnezzar, not a Pharaoh, but God himself will plant this twig himself and it will grow and it will bear fruit and it will become a noble tree so noble that all the birds of every kind come from the other trees and now they make their nest in this tree that God planted and God promised in verse 24 he said all the other trees are going to know it too they're going to know that I'm God when I do this What's the explanation? That cedar tree that keeps getting twigs plucked off of it? That's the house of David. That's the house of Judah. That's the promised messianic line. And though the reign of David's sons seemed to have ended, God still promised that he himself would take a new son of David. A lowly but lofty son of David and establish and plant him as king and his kingdom will then grow and flourish and be noble by the power of God, not by the power of man. And people from all nations would come and nest and find refuge in this kingdom and all the other kingdoms would be made low and know that the Lord is God And then years later, 
There's a very similar parable given to that same king, Nebuchadnezzar, in a dream. Where Nebuchadnezzar himself is portrayed as this great tree that grew to reach the heavens. His nation flourished and provided for all the beasts and all the birds that came to nest under it. But because of his sin and pride, God would cut him down and humble him like an ox to eat grass for seven years or so. And he did. He lived like an animal out of his mind by the heavy hand of God. And this is all on purpose. So that, God, so that Nebuchadnezzar, the big mighty tree, would acknowledge one thing. Heaven rules. Heaven, heaven rules. I don't rule. That's what he figured out. And he says, he says, Blessed be the Most High and praise and honor to Him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does according to His will among the host of heaven. And who can say? Who can stop Him? Heaven rules. That's what He said. The kingdom of heaven rules. So what is Jesus really saying here in this parable? He's saying, I am the high and lowly branch of David. I'm the one and only seed that God has planted. I am the instrument of heaven's rule on earth forever. I am the king of heaven. I am the king of heaven and my kingdom will not be halted despite all the efforts and despite all the appearances. It will not be halted. What you despise, what you disregard, doesn't matter. It's going to cover the earth. If I have to chop everything down, I will reign. And so he does. But you know what? Many would look at Jesus and his handful of fishermen followers and say, right, 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 sure. Sounds good, Jesus. Nice plan. When you think about it, many people have come and gone. Many predictions have come and gone. Many kingdoms have come and gone. Many kings have come and gone. They've all sprouted up and they've all been cut down. Realize this. This is one of the greatest prophecies ever uttered. And think about it. What Jesus is saying here in a parable, he's going to say plainly in just a few chapters when he says, I will build my church. This prophecy is about the church of Jesus Christ. See, Christ is the seed and the church is the tree. There's this inseparable union between Christ and his people, those that are in Christ. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me. You see, Christ is the head and the church is the body. It's what Ephesians teaches. 
Um, and Paul writes to the Corinthians about the church being the body and head being Christ. In other words, Christ is the king. The church is the kingdom. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a kingdom and priest to God. And we shall reign on the earth, the Bible says. Now, those who heard this and understood this at the time, that, that what Jesus was predicting, they should have been stunned by the possibility. But you know what? We should be stunned by the reality. This, this is not only one of the greatest prophecies ever spoken, it's one of the greatest fulfillments ever witnessed. Hear this. He said, I will build my church. <laughs> Look around. Christ has and is and will build his church. It will not be stopped. The mustard seed has and is and will continue to grow until Christ returns. Think about this in hindsight. we got 2,000 years of hindsight. It's so obvious now, yet it's so imperceptible in real time. But think about the miracle. Think about the miracle of how it started to where it is now. Like we're not talking about a prophecy. Man, just look at the evidence. Spanning not just more people, but geography and nations and cultures and times and generations. It's a multi-dimensional expansion that defies all opposition. And man, has there ever been anything that's had more opposition than Jesus Christ? Don't matter. Don't matter. We are not ashamed of the gospel. For we know it is the power of God for salvation. This is the gospel. What we're seeing right here is the gospel. The tree of David would certainly be chopped down, but a shoot would come from the stump and bear fruit. The son of David would be despised and rejected by men, even cut off by God. The son of man would become like a grain of wheat, that would die and be buried, but raised from the dead to bear much fruit. And by this, the capital S seed of Abraham would bless all the families of the earth. By this, by his blood, he has redeemed a people from every nation that would become the kingdom of heaven on earth. Just like God says, the very last sentence of that Ezekiel 17 passage I don't know how long before Christ, almost 600 years before Christ, he says, I am the Lord. I have spoken it. I will do it. Jesus says, I will build my church. Look. He has. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Verse 33, it's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till all 
was leaven. Now, why does Jesus add another parable? And isn't this parable kind of pretty much saying the same thing? Yeah? Yes and no. So this little parable here is given to, given for repetition, emphasis, but nuance. Nuance. Note the same, uh, the same sort of thing happens in all the parables. There's a little repetition, but there's also a little nuance in each one of them. So the parables of the sower, the weed, and the net, all nuance about distinguishing and judging between the peoples of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. And the, coming up, the parables of the treasure and the pearl, they are repeating but nuancing the seeking and valuing of the kingdom of heaven. And now here, these two are repeating but nuancing the progression of the kingdom of heaven. And so this repeats the illustration of the progression of the kingdom. Like leavened bread. So, so see how it's similar. See how this parable is similar to the mustard seed. right? Like leavened bread, the kingdom of heaven begins small and ends big. Right? The woman takes just a little bit of leaven and puts it in a big 55-pound ball of dough. Enough to feed a small village, one guy said. And, and then it also grows imperceptibly over time. Think, think about it. How does yeast work? How, how does yeast leaven a whole lump? I mean, it does. You can see it even watch it in the oven as it rises. But man, you can't. How does it work down on a molecular level? I don't know. Somebody in here might can explain that. That's beside the point. You, you, you can see, you know it works. You can't see it for sure, but you know it works. And this is the nuance. This, think, this is the emphasis in this second parable. The parable of the leaven emphasizes not just the expansion, but the transformation. The transforming power of the kingdom as it progresses. Leaven. What is leaven about? I want you to realize how Jesus uh, skillfully shocks us by reversing the normal analogy with leaven. What's leaven normally represent in the Bible? Not good stuff. Bad stuff. Sin. Like leaven, sin has a corrupting, powerful, corrupting effect on the things it touches. Right? In, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul commands the church to exercise church discipline on this sexually immoral man. He says, purge that evil person from your midst. Do you not know that a le little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? Like, don't, man, just a little bit is going to mess the whole church up. Because that's what it does. It transforms. It's powerful. And this is the truth. A little bit of leaven really does leaven the whole lump. But Jesus is flipping the analogy. He's flipping the analogy, but the effect is the same, but reversed. Instead of sin corrupting the church a little along, here the kingdom of heaven is transforming the world. 
The church and the gospel are soft and light. Leaven. Leaven that invades and transforms the corruption. Now, to think about it. Yeah, the kingdom of heaven grows bigger, but not by addition, but by transformation. Right? The, the mustard seed tells us that it's going to expand exponentially, but this parable of leaven says that the expansion is by transformation. It's actually addition by conversion. The, the kingdom of heaven is expanding by transforming one heart at a time. Like it says in Acts 2, they were cut to the heart. Lydia had her heart open to understand the gospel. Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of heaven. There has to be this transformation. And the unleavened kingdom that's there now will ultimately be completely leavened. This is what he's saying. It's not like we got this lump here, we're just going to add to it. No, we're going to transform the lump that's there. That's what I'm going to do from heaven. I'm not going to throw it away and start another one. I'm just going to transform that one from the throne of grace. Now, this has been happening for over 2,000 years. This has been happening globally for over 2,000 years. The strong man has been bound and his house has been plundered, transforming that lump. Like Revelation 11 says, here's a picture of the end. It says, the kingdom of the world, there's that bad lump, has become the kingdom of our Lord. And he shall reign forever. This is that's what it says. So the unleavened kingdom of the world is and soon will be completely transformed into the kingdom of heaven. That's what these two parables mean. Now, right here, at the end of these two parables, Matthew gives us a little the theology, a little theological interlude about why Jesus is using parables again. He gives us another reason. He says it's to fulfill what the prophet said in Psalm 78. He quotes Psalm 78. This is a pattern we see in Matthew. He's always quoting something from the Old Testament to prove Constantly that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the son of God. He is the Christ. He is the son of David. He is the son of man. And he's proven it by saying he fulfilled that. He fulfilled that. He fulfilled that. And now he's doing it in Psalm 78. Now if you want to flip to Psalm 78, man, that's the second longest Psalm, I think, in the Bible. We're not going to go through it, but I want you to see something. So we answer this one question. How in the world is Jesus fulfilling Psalm 78? First of all, a little something, little something about Psalm 78. It's written by this guy named Asaph. He's a psalmist, and he's acting like a prophet. Matthew's telling us that. He's acting like a prophet, and he spoke in parables. But here's, here's, here's the tricky part. He says, Asaph says, I'm going to utter hidden things that are not hidden. What? That sounds like a contradiction. But he says that. If you're, if you're looking 
in Psalm 78. So verse 2 is what Matthew's quoting, mainly from the Septuagint. He's, he says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter dark sayings from old. Okay, hidden stuff. I'm going to talk about hidden stuff, stuff you don't know. But then the next verse says, things we have heard and known. How can you utter hidden things that have not been hidden? What does that mean? And how is that a parable? You know, and, and here's the other thing. Like, unlike Jesus, Asaph's not getting, giving us a story. He's giving us history. How can that be a parable? Like, what, what Psalm 78 is doing is he's recounting or reciting Israel's history from Jacob to David. And it's not even illustration. It's real history. How can that be a parable? Now, remember the basic meaning of a parable. It's to place one thing beside another to illustrate truth. And that's exactly what he's doing. Asaph is laying known accounts of Israel's history side by side to reveal some great hidden truths. Like stuff you wouldn't see in real time. But man, when you start putting it together, you see a theological picture. And he begins to shine light on historical patterns that reveal great theological truth. So basically, Asaph is bringing new truth out of old truth. Now, how does Jesus fulfill that? How does Jesus fulfill Psalm 78? Because that's what he's saying he does. It, Matthew says that's what Jesus is doing. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet in Psalm 78. So first and foremost, what does Matthew mean? He means this. Jesus is doing exactly what Asaph was doing just better. And for the theological students out here, that means Asaph was a type of Christ. He was a prophet Asaph was a type of Christ in this prophetic role as he writes Psalm 78 in, in speaking parables. But Jesus is the greater prophet. He's the master of the parable. Right? But you know, there's more. There's more here. If you understand the life of Jesus' ministry and, and the gospel and you look at the patterns in Psalm 78, you realize something. You realize that Jesus fulfills this historical pattern of God's faithfulness and power in small beginnings. Like Psalm 78 highlights and typifies small beginnings that grow into great endings despite the troubled history of Israel. Asaph starts with one man, the seed of Abraham, Jacob. And he ends with a great king and a great kingdom of David. And he even highlights that even that guy, David, was a shepherd boy. And like Jesus, obscure and rejected, Jesus is the greater son of Abraham, the greater son of David, who will rule the kingdom of heaven and shepherd his people forever. So Jesus fulfills that. We also see that Jesus' ministry on earth is the actual climax of Israel's rebellion and unbelief. Like as God reveals more and more 
powerful, miraculous things to them graciously, the more they sinned, the more they rebelled, the more they did not believe. That's it, man. If you just read Psalm 78 on your own later today, you'll see that. God did this, he did this, he showed them this. Miracle after miracle, plague after plague, uh, revelation of himself after revelation of himself, and it says, yet they still sinned, yet they still rebelled, yet they still hated him, rebelled against him, did not believe, unfaithful. What a pattern. And here God is literally in their midst. Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, in their midst, and he proves it to them, yet they rebelled and would not believe. Climax of that pattern is happening right now in Matthew. And that results in what? Israel ultimately rejecting him, then that results in what? God rejecting them. You see that in Psalm 78. Over and over, over and over, rejection, sin, and unbelief, over and over until finally, guess what? The glory of the Lord departs from the tabernacle. The ark goes to the Philistines. And then we see in, in Old Testament history, that pattern happens again. The glory of the Lord departs from the temple, and it's ultimately destroyed by that king from another land, Babylon. Remember the trees? But the climax, the fulfillment of that judgment on the nation of Israel is in the judicial blinding that we see here with parables and the final destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And the last way, maybe the best way, is the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to the theological questions that come up over and over again in Psalm 78. Man, you cannot miss it. If you read Psalm 78, you cannot miss this pattern of God's kindness and God's mercy and God's patience with a wicked and rebellious people. And you just have to ask these questions. How can a benevolent God be so kind to such a rebellious people? How in the world can a righteous God be so patient with such a wicked people? How can this holy God dwell in the midst of this sinful people? How can a good God forgive evil? The gospel of Jesus Christ answers that question, fulfills that problem. God sent his only begotten son into the world, out of love, out of grace, into the world to save sinners. Not just to dwell in their midst, but to be a slaughtered lamb in their midst for their sake. This is how the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and leaven. Now, how do you respond to that? Like Paul says, what shall we say to these things? The words of the king of heaven deserve a response. You can't leave here without responding to these words. Don't let the response be indifference or what's for lunch. 
Here's how you respond to these kingdom parables. Number one, you fly to the tree. If you're here right now and you do not know Jesus Christ, you are cut off and outside the kingdom of heaven. If you have not been born again from above by the power of the Spirit of God, poured out by Jesus from His throne of grace, you are outside the kingdom of heaven. And you know it. I know some of you know it. Your response right now is to fly to the tree. You come to Christ. Come to the cross of Christ. Bow before Jesus, the King of heaven. And ask him for mercy and grace and forgiveness and eternal life. Kiss the Son. Lest he be angry at you and you perish in the way. But blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. He promises. Jesus himself, the same one that says this. He says, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. Fly to the tree. Come to Jesus Christ. Second thing. The second response to this is, man, believe the Bible. Believe the Bible is the word of God. I mean, come on. For thousands of years, God promised these things. For 2,000, 2000 years ago, Jesus promised these things. And they killed him. Yet, here we are. Here we are. Think of it. Here we are worshiping that Jewish criminal that had no followers. Man, we're 80 generations later. We're nearly 7,000 miles from Jerusalem, 20 centuries removed. And we believe this book with all our heart. And the name of Christ and the presence of the church Spans the globe. It really does. Against all odds and all oppositions. Listen, all flesh is grass, right? All flesh is grass and all of its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people of grass, they are grass. Come and go. But the word of the Lord Here we are. Here it is. This is the word of God Almighty. Believe it. it. It's proven it to you. And third, marvel at all this. Like, be astounded at all this. Marvel at God's subtle sovereignty. Everything I just said just now, marvel at that. Man, that is crazy. Be amazed not just at what God has done, but how he has done it. Like a mustard seed. Like leaven and bread. Goodness gracious. He's like a, like a farmer that plants a seed. This is the way we are. Plant a seed and, and we go to bed and we wake up. We go to bed and wake up. The thing just keeps growing. We don't know how. This is this is our marvelous. Marvel at it. Fourth, do what Jesus said. Pray. Pray for his kingdom to come. This is how he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us to pray like this in Matthew 9. He said, the harvest is plentiful. Like, this lump of dough is big. We need a little leaven. Pray then earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. So there, take that and do this. Pray. Pray for our holiness. GCC's holiness and obedience to God's will. Pray for GCC's effectual, effectual proclamation of the gospel in every setting. Pray that the word would come in power with leaven and transform and expand. Pray for our missionaries that they would be used by Christ to expand and transform his all nations empire. And pray for more laborers from here to go there. That God would raise up more. And while we're praying for you to do that, then do that. Seek his kingdom first. Seek his kingdom first and foremost. This is what he taught us. This is what Paul taught us about. If you've been raised in Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the kingdom of heaven. Don't, don't seek the things that won't last. Don't sit here and prioritize the vanities of this world. You're going to just get eaten up by moth and rust and stolen away by thieves. Don't do that. Invest in the kingdom of heaven. Store up your treasures in heaven. How? By serving the king and bearing fruit to the glory of his name. And last, rest. It's like in, in doing all that, as I'm just exhorting you to do all that, just rest in God's subtle sovereignty. Don't get discouraged. The mission of Christ is not going to fail. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter who comes against it. It's not going to fail. And, then, and don't be impatient or fearful like the disciples and John the Baptist. Because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And don't forget what small beginnings. And don't forget what little leaven can do. So trust God to do the work. But don't think too highly of yourself. Like Don't think the kingdom of heaven needs you. <laughs> and don't... Think too highly of your personal role in the kingdom of heaven. We all play a designed role, but it, it, it's small. That role is going to be small in the whole scheme of things. He's the king. He's doling out the assignments. We don't have to conquer the whole world on our own. It got here fine without us. We are servants of the Lord and privileged to be that. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to serve Christ where he calls you. Rest in God's subtle sovereignty because the kingdom of heaven is here. We're on the tail end of this train. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, you say, and it is so. We praise your sovereignty. We praise your sovereign grace. We praise you for the grace of read, to, to understand in 2,000 years of hindsight what it is you plan to do and what you've done. Pray you would build faith from this right now, that you would build faith, fill hearts with faith. Even unconverted hearts right now, fill hearts with faith. Open the eyes of hearts to see the glory of the King of Heaven that you have planted on your holy hill. And, and truly, may your kingdom come, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name.